Hello and welcome to a special episode of Women with Balls. Many are feeling the pinch from the cost of living crisis. Choices between heating and eating have become routine for some households as bills and food costs rise. Data shows that the number of people searching ways to reduce stress online has increased by 216% in the past month alone. And mounting evidence suggests that when it comes to money worries, women are the most likely to be the ones cutting back on spending, working harder and taking on the mental load for household finances. The signs of poor mental health can vary and are difficult to spot, but getting help early can be essential to a fast and effective recovery. Are there preventative measures that can be implemented? At a time when cost-cutting can be essential, what are some of the practical ways we can take care of ourselves? For this episode, I am joined by a panel of experts on this topic. Maria Colfield, who is the Minister for Mental Health, where her department also oversees women's health. Catherine Rutter, who is the Director for Customer Inclusion at Lloyd's Banking Group. And Kim Ledbeater, Labour MP for Batley and Spen, who received an MBE for her services to social cohesion and combating loneliness. This podcast is kindly sponsored by Lloyd's Banking Group. Maria, to begin, I suppose with your ministerial hat on, uh, we know during the COVID crisis, during the pandemic, mental health problems worsened along with wait times. How have you seen the cost of living crisis affect the problem? Well, I think it's exacerbated, and we're really focused on not just improving services for people with mental illness, so people who may be bipolar or schizophrenic or have eating disorders, but actually in the same way we promote health promotion and physical health, we want to make sure that people are mentally, their mental health is well, and that we're supporting that. And what we're seeing at the moment is, yes, mental health struggled during COVID, and very quickly we've gone into this kind of cost of living pressures that people are facing. But what I'm seeing is certainly it's not just the kind of the usual people who struggle, people on low incomes, people who may be on uh, fixed incomes as well, but also people who've actually got, you know, quite well paid jobs, but with mortgage rates going up, with energy bills going up, with inflation rising, there are many people who wouldn't normally suffer, and we saw this in COVID as well, that are really struggling with the cost of living. And Kim, what about in your constituency? What have you been seeing in terms of how this has been exacerbating existing problems? Yeah, I mean, I think we've had a significant amount of casework, people who are worried about paying their bills, worried about putting food on their table, worried about their families. And I think, for me, there is a broader conversation to be had about what health looks like, what well-being looks like. And my background is in, in physical activity and health and well-being. And it's it's important that we take a very holistic approach to our health. So this is about the physical, it's about the mental, it's about the social, it's about the financial. And unless we feel that all those boxes are being ticked, we are vulnerable to poor mental health. And I think it's really important now, because of the cost of living crisis, we take that holistic approach more than ever. And we look at what solutions there are, because Again, looking at what the government can do, what, looking at what people can do within their communities, I think is really important and how we can support each other. And particularly as women who do often bear the brunt of a lot of those pressures, you know, we can often the ones who hold the families together, the, the glue within our communities, looking at how we can all support each other. So I think it's, it's taking that very holistic approach to what it means to be well. And we, we need to do that as a society. Catherine, I suppose it goes without saying that ultimately your customers are going to be particularly worried about their finances right now yeah but in what ways is this manifesting so it's really quite interesting so at the moment we can see that 20 percent of our customer base are really really struggling but we can actually see that 60 percent are potentially exactly as you've just said are gonna struggle in the future but at the moment are choosing to go without 
So we can actually see that. So we can see loads of people cancelling subscriptions to things. We can see people's food bills reducing. We can actually see how they are turning off from, from different spends that they would have spent before. So it feels at the moment as though a lot of people are trying to control it. What worries us then, to Kim's point, is that that's because they're worrying about money. And so our big thing now is, how can we get people to come and talk to us? How can we help people with the budgeting? How can we help them with payment holidays on the mortgages or the personal loans, etc., to help them through a period of time so that they don't have to stop eating and they can actually have the heating on because we're helping them as they go through the process. But people are not coming to us and they're not actually reaching out. And ultimately, when we're looking at some of the polling, I think one of the things we've often seen generally but also I think will apply here is that women can be more worried about talking out or you know about coming forward so is that another aspect of what you're seeing oh totally and especially we do my team in particular do an awful lot of work with surviving economic abuse charity somebody who's in a situation where they have you know been completely dominated by somebody and they possibly were at the point that they were going to leave and now saying well I can't leave because I can't afford to go anywhere or no one can, no friends or family can afford to actually house me either. So our concern is that we're going to have a lot of women now who are actually staying in abusive relationships for even longer during this period. And already Lloyd says when it comes to economic coercive control practices in place. So we've got a dedicated team. So what we did was we We have the attitude of we're not the experts in this and particularly with mental health issues and things like that, then there's lots of people out there who are better than us at it. So we partnered with Surviving Economic Abuse and we actually got one of their team to come and sit with us for a year and actually listen to the calls, listen to customers who were ringing up and actually describing what they were going through and then talk us through. If if all you did was provide accommodation for them for seven days that would get them through it because they would then be away from the person and would help them from a financial point of view. So there's little things that they've taught us that we can do that can absolutely transform people's lives. Maria, we're hearing about how a bank can ultimately see in some of the behaviour of a customer, you know, that they're changing their, their spending habits, reducing their spending, you know, having to make ends meet. In terms of, I suppose, how, from your role, we can gather information about the state of the public's mental health. What are we looking at? So, you know, the number of people being referred, trying to seek help. Yeah, so we've set up a number of kind of self-help initiatives. So there's, for things like talking therapies, for example, patients or people can just go onto the NHS website now, self-refer, they don't need to go and see their GP. And we've seen over a million people register for that service. So we can see that there's a, a definite demand for that. We launched the Every Mind Matters website earlier this year, which, and I really encourage people to go on to that, so that if they're suffering from symptoms, whether they're not sleeping, they're anxious, they're irritable, they can put all of that in and it will tell give them guidance and real practical uh, you can go on and do an online cbt course but also it will give you practical information about your finances around the help that's available and we are seeing the traffic steadily increasing so as Catherine said people are reluctant to speak to a professional to the bank or to you know teachers at school about their concerns for their children but they will go online and seek that self-help and that's where we're seeing some of the traffic at the moment Kim, you spoke about the need for a more holistic approach and one of the things I know you've spoken about in the past is, you know, parity in terms of how we treat physical health and mental health. It's one of the problems here that effectively we have such waiting times. Those who, you know, are in a place where the cost of living crisis is ultimately 
either added to existing problems or put people in a, a vulnerable place it's hard for them to get the help is that something you've been picking up on yeah definitely and I think there's two things there I think one is that we've had conversations over the last sort of 10 years about putting mental health on a par with physical health and sadly I don't think we've seen that happen without getting into the politics of it I think that some of that does come from government it does come from leadership around you know saying that mental health and physical health are intertwined and and we can't treat them separately but I think the the point that's been made really well is is that we've got to reduce the stigma we've got to not be embarrassed to talk about how we're feeling about you know saying that you know I'm struggling I'm having a tough time and I think sometimes as as women we are you know the the strong ones and we want to be seen to be coping we don't want to be seen to be struggling and and men as well but I think you know we all have that sometimes so we've got to not be afraid to ask for help and also look at where that help can come from so Maria's given some really good examples there where you could look for professional help and interestingly I think Catherine's initiative there is fantastic you know you wouldn't have thought that you might be able to go and get support from your bank but there's probably areas that we think oh maybe I should just open up and, and ask for that help there's also huge amounts of work being done in the voluntary sector some fantastic community organizations and groups where you can get help locally I think so it's, it's having that network of people that you can ask for help and also opening up to your friends and family and just you know being prepared to say do you know what I'm having a bit of a tough time and not be embarrassed about that and I've learned, you know, through my time over recent years that asking for help is actually a strong thing to do. It's not a weak thing to do. Yeah, and one of the things that we're looking at is trying to find different ways of communicating with people because everybody has a different way. And who are the trusted people that people will listen to? So one of the things that we're doing in the first quarter of next year is partnering with the Pharmacy Association because more and more people are going to pharmacies now for advice as opposed to doctors or, or ringing 111. And actually... Looking... Was that because of waiting times? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so actually they're becoming quite a trusted group of people. So they're looking to produce a brochure that will help people who come in and, and ask them questions, etc. And they've actually approached us to say, could we do something on money worries? Could we do some elements that would point people in the right direction? Because people might read that because it's from the pharmacy <laughs> rather than reading it if Lloyd's sent it out. Yeah, which is and really I, interesting, I mean, isn't it? One of the things I am worried about is around loneliness. So when yes. your finances are tight through all age groups, yeah. you know, if you're elderly and on a fixed pension, you won't go out for that cup of coffee with your friends. If you're a mum, you won't necessarily go to kind of some of the kind of events that you would normally go to or the cinema with your kids. And your kind of social network to have those conversations become smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the anxiety and Kim's done mm-hmm. a lot of work on, on this as well. So it's, you know, making it as easy as possible for people to have conversations with a wide range of people and I know Kim will be exactly the same as me when we get involved as MPs it's when the electricity is about to be cut off when the bailiffs are coming around because they haven't paid their council tax and actually there's quite a lot of help if people are you know brave enough to ask for it as early as possible because there are payment plans that can be put in Uh, utility companies are very reasonable but people just kind of bury their heads in the sand and think this will go away and our plea is just to to ask for help but with that social circle becoming smaller and smaller Mm. people do kind of get really isolated now yeah I think Marie's absolutely right I think that stigma around asking for help is something that we've all need to work on and and really interesting to, to bring up the issue of loneliness and and whilst we know that loneliness isn't a mental health condition 
you know, there is a, a clear intersection between the two. And, and I'm really pleased that a lot more work has been done on that. And my experience uh, with that was through through the Joe Cox Foundation, the charity that we set up in, in my sister's name. And it was fantastic that the government really embraced that agenda. And we ended up with the world's first ever Minister for Loneliness, one of our, our parliamentary colleagues, Tracy Crouch. And I think that that went a long way to breaking down the stigma. Sadly, because of COVID, we ended up with people feeling and being more isolated than ever. So there's more work to be done to rebuild that agenda. But I think, yeah, and, and it's looking at people in your lives who you know might be vulnerable. And again, as women, we, we tend to take on a lot of caring responsibilities. Certainly, if you're at a similar age to me, you might have children that you're looking after, but you've also got parents that you're looking after. So you're in that sort of sandwich generation. And that creates a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. And I think the other thing is it means is that we don't have much time. So we're talking about money, but the other thing that most of us don't have nowadays is time. And carving out time for yourself to look after yourself is really, really important. But we often put ourselves at the bottom of a very long list of other priorities, whether that is our career or our families, as I say, caring responsibilities. So I think sometimes just stopping and saying, right, what have I actually done for me this week that is going to make me feel better? And, you know, the old expression that you can't pour from an empty cup. If you're running on empty, you can't do all the other things that you need to do in life. So it's really important that you take that time. But, but sadly, as Maria says, some of the stuff that we might be drawn towards doing, like meeting for a coffee, because we're feeling financial pressures, that's difficult. So I always default to, to getting some exercise. So just going for a walk, which is free, and you get the benefit of being out in the fresh air and you get to catch up with your mates. Catherine, you mentioned the pharmacy idea is a really interesting mm. one. But, you know, often people are like, oh, do I want to speak to the bank? I guess it can feel quite corporate. Yeah. But then also another factor there is reading some quite interesting research, which was, you know, a survey last year saying actually consumers still associate the bank with fees, a higher credit rating. So in a way, the idea of calling your bank to say, I'm really worried about my spending can feel a little bit like you know, entering a danger zone. So what is the reality of that situation? So the reality is that on average it takes somebody 12 months if they start to have mortgage arrears to come and talk to us. And exactly to Maria's point, by that point, they've actually probably gone too far down the journey for us to really help. So the earlier the better. So we're just trying to reach out. So cost of living has really given us an opportunity to message customers, email customers, outbound call to customers who we can see from our data that we believe they're struggling. And so we've contacted millions of customers to try and say, come and help us. Or again, to Maria's point, point them in the direction of a web page that they can go to. So we've got an amazing Money Worries Hub that they can actually link into and get loads of really good advice. You can actually go online and set up your own, you know, payment model for your mortgage and personal loans, etc., without talking to anyone. But it's it's just getting that message out there. So we're trying to get out with the local communities so that people understand that we want to help. And as I say, that 12 months for people to contact us on average if they're in arrears with the mortgage says it all, really. So if they come earlier, if 12 months is the point yeah. where actually it's quite limited what the bank can do, what happens if they come earlier? What, what is if they the... come earlier, we sit down with them, we help them with the budgeting. So we've got some brilliant budgeting tools that we can help customers with and we can show them how to use it, even if you just went onto your app. There's loads of things, features on the app that actually help you to budget, but I don't think many people use them because they probably have never had the time 
time to go through absolutely everything that's on there. So we'll show people how to budget, but then we'll sit down with them and we'll talk them through actually whether having a payment holiday for a couple of months is the better approach for them to actually get them through a particular period where they might be struggling. And that's what we did during COVID. We looked at, we probably approved more payment holidays than we'd ever done before. And actually all those people after COVID carried on paying the mortgages. So they just, sometimes people just need some help for a short period of time and then they're back on the straight and narrow again. It's the fact that they try and just help themselves by stopping paying things and choosing which bill to pay, etc. And we can help and advise them. But then we will also, so again, we're doing some brilliant work with Citizens Advice Bureau at the moment. So even a customer who comes to us and asks for help and hasn't got any borrowing with us, so they don't have a mortgage with us, they don't have any lending, then we'll refer them to Citizens Advice <coughs> Bureau, who we fund specific advisors for, and then they are amazing with the amount of benefit support that they can provide, food vouchers, energy cards, etc. It's really quite, there's, and again, back to Kim's point, the holistic need for this is enormous. I, mean, I suppose the elephant in the room to agree is obviously the wait time if someone does feel as though they, you know, they need more than just the holistic help or they want to speak to someone to work on to you and actually as we've seen with the NHS backlog, problems with mental health services, what is the realistic timetable for an improvement on that? So we're, we're putting in initiatives that are making a, a difference right now. So I kind of talked through some of the access to talking therapies, which uh, people can access and don't have to go to the GP to get a referral for those. They can self-refer via the NHS uh, website. We're also putting mental health support workers in schools because uh, we're seeing children, you know, who've come through COVID through a very stressful time, whose parents may be struggling and they're feeling that at home and are anxious about, you know, you know, we all know what it's like if you haven't got the, the trainers at school. And so financial pressures are having a an effect on children as well and so there's mental health support going into schools we're also created uh, what's called additional roles in primary care and some of those roles around mental health support workers so GPs who are in primary care networks which are most GPs now can access additional roles in their practices so they're not having to refer in to kind of really specialist mental health support which may be more appropriate for someone with mental health illness but for people who've got uh, mental health problems with well-being those mental health support workers can provide some clinical support up front so you're not waiting for a referral so we're trying as hard as we can to boost those support networks as much as possible. Kim, you mentioned how actually there are lots of things you can do which is free on loneliness and I suppose it applies elsewhere but I think there is a perception in some quarters that almost looking after your mental health can be expensive. You know, whether that is because you can't get an appointment or you need someone quickly going to see a therapist. It could also be obviously, you know, certain hobbies that people say can be good for your mental health. So do you think there is truth in that narrative? I mean, in the sense there needs to be whether it's business support, government support, people to access that, or are there lots of kind of cheaper ways people can take some steps to improve things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much that you can do on a day-to-day basis to look after your own mental health and well-being. And, and that, again, goes back to the things I was talking about, whether that's physical activity, whether that's creating some time and space to, you know, have some time to just reflect and think about what's happening in your life, quality time with family and friends. You know, all those things are really, really important in terms of looking after your mental health. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between just maintaining positive mental health and someone who is in acute mental health crisis. And that's where clearly the sort of support that Maria's talking about is essential and sadly 
we are lacking sufficient support across the country, whether that's for, you know, conditions around eating disorders or, you know, people with addiction or, or, you know, things who are in a really acute situation. And that has to improve and the government has to work to improve that. I think the other important point, which Maria touched on there, is young people. And I was reading some statistics recently saying that 50% of mental health conditions are established by the time a child reaches the age of 14 and 70% by the time someone reaches the age of 24. So we have to be looking at early intervention with our young people. And that is from a primary school age. I mean, Maria, like me, probably goes to, to schools in her constituency all the time. And we've seen worrying trends towards very young children displaying mental health issues and concerns so we have to look at what that provision looks like and again we cannot throw this just onto teachers and I think one of one of the Labour Party's policies is to have a mental health counsellor in every school because you know teachers are there to teach but at the moment they're doing an, an awful lot of work around patching kids up who've had a difficult time because of lockdown you know sadly things that have been witnessed during lockdown because they spent so much time at home whether that's domestic abuse or violence so we've got to look at young people we've got to look at providing opportunities for them to talk about their mental health and well-being we've also got the online safety bill coming through parliament at the moment you know fantastic that that's now coming through at last issues around self-harm for young people this is an epidemic that just didn't seem to exist when I when I was a, a teenager. So we've got to take, again, that holistic approach, looking at across the generations at how we can help people and go for prevention and hopefully stop people getting to that acute situation where they're, they're not, you know, so, so desperate for help. Maria, is that something you have seen in your constituency? Oh, definitely. I mean, when I go around to my schools, and it is at primary level that, that it starts, you know, the, the teachers are saying that they, you know, notice that you know, children become withdrawn or anxious, and children are very sensitive to what's happening at home. So if mum and dad are worrying about the bills, they will pick up on that. They may be nervous about asking money for school trips or school uniforms, always a big pressure. And, and the government has helped with that in terms of changing around uh, the availability of school uniform and not going for necessarily branded uniforms and, and opening up kind of high street clothing but there's lots of pressures on, on parents for, for school children these days you know they in my day had a pen and a pencil and a, a book and now they need ipads and electronic devices and, and that all adds up to the pressures when money is tight and children really do pick up on that but teachers are doing a fantastic job and that's why we're supporting them by putting mental health workers there so that they've got some professional support as well and i mean i want to end the final stage of this podcast was more kind of looking ahead what people can be doing i suppose how we can improve things but I just wonder what do you say Maria to Catherine's point about actually the role something like a pharmacy could play I mean we had a recent an interesting piece recently in the spectator about how I mean A&E waiting times for example are so bad actually you could go to your pharmacy but obviously it's limited prescription and so forth but it is a trusted Mm. service do you think that almost more weight can go in some of these places yeah I mean if you talk to my colleague Neil O'Brien who's the Minister of Primary Care we are trying to expand uh, pharmacy services as much as possible and uh, Scotland have got a great model of pharmacy first which I know and similar in Europe people go to their pharmacist first before their GP and I think you know particularly if you get to know your pharmacist and you can just walk in up there on any Mm. every high street it's not the stigma necessary it's quite a big hurdle to go to your GP and admit you're struggling Mm. if you're in seeing your pharmacist buying some paracetamol or whatever it's very easy to then to just have that chat and they get to know you so absolutely there's a role for pharmacists and I'm a big supporter of the community pharmacy service and Kim on that do you think actually places in the high street you know if you're talking about where people can go breaking down stigma as Marie just touched on perhaps the stigma particularly with women who are less likely to come forward the high streets can be a place where there are more opportunities 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes back to that point about reducing the stigma and not being too embarrassed to ask for help or to acknowledge that you're struggling. And you can do that in a variety of different ways. I mean, pharmacies are brilliant and they're often at the heart of our communities. And they are one of the few places where we can go and have those conversations about our health in a way that can be a bit more relaxed, as you say, than, than booking an, an appointment at a hospital or other doctors or, or trying to get seen by a doctor. But I think also that broader community piece is really important and just getting out and about as much as possible and chatting to people. And, you know, something around sharing our concerns because lots of people are going to be feeling the same at the moment and we mustn't feel like we're the only one who's struggling. So getting out and about into social situations as much as you can. And, and that can be things like, you know, again, like I've, I've said before, whether it's joining a walking group, whether it's going to the knit and natter group, whether it's doing things in your community where you can sit around with other women and, and, and men indeed and just have those conversations. And looking for that local help, I think, is really important on a day-to-day basis. We've got a fantastic organisation, which you might have heard of, called Andy's Man's Club. And this is a group where, where men get together and talk about their mental health. And I mean, men notoriously are far worse than women for acknowledging that they're feeling down or they're struggling. So Andy's Man's Club do amazing things across the country. And um, women tend to do it a bit more subtly, whether it's through, like I say, just meeting for a coffee or whatever, but just having those conversations and just saying, do you know what, I'm having a tough time. And then it'll, you'll be amazed how, how other people often feel the same. And that can be really helpful in its own right. So we've really focused since 2017 on how we can help as a company on the mental health side of things, as much for our colleagues as well as for our customers, because we believe if the colleagues are open enough about the mental health, then they'll spot those opportunities with customers as well as to how we can help them. So one of the things that we instantly started doing was fundraising. And we're really pleased to see and quite proud of the fact that we've raised over £16 million for Mental Health UK. One of the ways in which they used some of that funding was to actually fund both a digital website and a a helpline to really help people to understand the connection between both money worries and mental health. But predominantly on the mental health side, it's helped millions of people. So millions of people have actually accessed the website and over 5,000 people have actually been helped on a personal level as well. So it's something we're really proud of. It continues to this day and it's in existence because of the funding that Lloyd's have provided and because of the fundraising that Lloyd's colleagues have provided. And in the spirit of speaking about what we're all uh, you know, feeling and thinking, I wanted to end, I wanted to ask each of the panel, what are some of the best ways you, know, you take care of your well-being or mental health? And it can be you know, your walks. It could be a budgeting tip, you know, so you keep that in control. But who wants to go first? Kim, I think we'll go with you first. Well, I've been in this job for 18 months and I, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I have been absolutely dreadful at looking after my own mental health. <laughs> and that's the other thing, isn't it? You know, when we've got women in, in really good jobs and, and, and really influential positions, which is fantastic. But again, we tend to just forget about looking after ourselves in the middle of it all. So for me, my New Year's resolutions are to start looking after myself better physically and mentally. And for me, I always default to exercise I always feel better when I've been physically active. I'm not bothered what I look like. It's not about that for me. It's just about the feeling that that gives me in terms of my mental health and well-being. So I'm going to start to exercise more. I also used to be really good at going for a massage every now and again, and that's totally gone. So I'm going to try and get that back in my life again in the new year. And then that quality time with my friends. I don't see much of my friends anymore because this job is just so bonkers. So trying to carve out some time just to meet up with my mates. And that's why this has been so good, Kate. It's so good that you're talking about this. 
And it's so good that you've actually got a bunch of women together to have these conversations. So let's see more of that as well. Well, I can definitely get behind the massage point. I was, I was looking for a New Year's resolution. Um, well, I mean, I do feel the pressure as one of the ministers, you know, to try and help support families across the country. You feel that personal pressure when you see people struggling. It's not why we went into politics. And, and also in terms of providing that mental health support, we know that there are waiting lists uh, for some services. And there's huge pressure on us to kind of get that improvement through. So, you know, as Kim says, there isn't much time as an MP to take time out. I clearly don't go down the fitness route as, as Kim does, but I have got a new rescue cat. And I think he just time with my cat on the sofa, even if it is watching a politics show on TV, is actually quite uh, quite restful. So, uh, yeah, my pets are, are kind of the time out I get yeah maybe, maybe the cat can get some more festive viewing over Christmas yes, hopefully. Um, I hope for your cat <laughs> finally Catherine what about yourself um my go-to is watching American trash what my husband would call oh I'm, I'm and, with you and and the main reason when he sits there watching me watching these programs where he's going but you know how they're going to end do you know that in NCIS <laughs> there are always the good people will win in the end I go I know so that's what makes it so lovely that you know <laughs> that the good person is going gonna to survive no matter what it is and that they're going to win. And it's just nice sometimes to have a positive ending <laughs> to a programme. Well, me and the cat will have to, to watch the little man <laughs> trash. Yeah, my, my husband has similar view when I watch yeah. Stunning Sunset. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Kim. And thank you for listening today.